Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, June 7th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, Chris, let's talk a little bit about Indiana Jones 5. There's some new uh, news in the world of indie. What's going on there? Yes, Indiana Jones 5 is currently shooting in the UK and some set pics leaked online and they show a stunt man on a motorcycle. And the the most interesting part of this is the stunt man was wearing um, a mask, like a latex or almost like a Halloween mask, if you will. And it was a Harrison Ford mask. And uh, it's not Harrison Ford as he looks now. And, you know, not to say Harrison Ford looks bad. He looks great for his age, but you know, obviously he's older now, but the mask appears to be a younger indie and, uh, that's making everyone assume that we're getting some sort of flashback to Indy during the war. Um, I should also add that there were people like dressed up like uh, Nazis on the set. And uh, while that's, you know, more of a normal thing that I would like it to be in, in present day, these were <laughs> these were extras in a film. They weren't actual Nazis. I see. Yeah. They did not uh, infiltrate the set. OK, yeah. good to know. Um, so uh, so what do you think about this, Chris? The, the idea, Well, first of all. 
Do we know that it's not Harrison Ford wearing a younger Harrison Ford mask? Because that would be pretty amazing. Yeah, because um, at, at one point the actor, uh, the, the stuntman fell off his motorcycle and the mask flew off and it revealed it was like a, you know, a younger stuntman. Wow. Okay. Mask right. so, so my idiotic joke aside, uh, what do you think about um, about the, the idea of a, a flashback like this? Indy is not necessarily a franchise that's known for its flashbacks, right? It's been a while since I've seen all these movies, but. You know, um, yeah, like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade has that big prologue where it's him as a teenager played by River Phoenix. But mm-hmm. yeah, they don't really do flashbacks that much. So uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, how this would be. I mean, I like the idea of Indy fighting Nazis again because those movies are always great when he's punching Nazis. Oh, so yeah. I have nothing wrong with that. Um, I And I guess anything I'm a little worried about is, you know, they're going to probably, if this is a flashback, they're probably going to digitally de-age Harrison Ford. And sometimes that works really well. And sometimes it does not. Uh, I feel like Captain Marvel is a great example of this where the Samuel L. Jackson de-aging looked really great. But then there are other examples where they de-age someone and it just, it's very noticeable. And and Mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, I don't want like CGI Harrison Ford running around. So I guess it really depends on how big, I mean, how long the scene's going to be. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously it's not gonna be like the whole movie. Like that would be really freaking weird. It was like, you know, digitally de-age Harrison Ford from the whole movie. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm all in. I, I love Indiana Jones. I've all, you know, I'm a big fan of the franchise. Like of the two big Lucasfilm franchises, well, most people I feel like were Star Wars fans. I was always more of an indie fan. I didn't really like, like Star Wars as much, but I liked Indiana Jones a lot more. So even though, you know, I wish, James, I wish Steven Spielberg was directing this and he's not, I, you know, I'm still excited for the film. Yeah, yeah, man, you and I are on the same page there, um, even in terms of like being more of indie fans than Star Wars fans, which may be like blasphemous on this podcast, which talks about Star Wars like all the time. But um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about a Vertigo video game that's coming. So this was sort of surprising news. Uh, Today, we learned that um, a video game based on or sort of inspired by uh, Alfred Hitchcock's classic film Vertigo is coming out later this year. Um, Vertigo came out in 1958, and in the year of our Lord, 2021, we were getting a Vertigo video game. So uh, there's a a sort of announcement teaser about this and some information about this game. Um, I don't want to go too much in depth, but I just wanted to put this on people's radar because I actually think it sounds interesting once you get past the, like, what the hell is going on of, you know, the the very premise of this movie getting a, a game adaptation. So it's not actually a... Uh, a one-to-one adaptation of uh, the movie, which starred Jimmy Stewart. Um, It is instead a movie that, or or, I'm sorry, a game that um, sort of takes inspiration from a bunch of different Hitchcock properties, including uh, Psycho and Rebecca, and uh, really takes the themes from Vertigo. So, you know, we're talking about obsession and memory and perception and identity and manipulation, and it sort of pushes uh, the players through this mystery narrative, um, the the uh, official logline of the game says, writer Ed Miller came out unscathed from a car crash down in uh, Brody Canyon, California. Even though no one was found inside the car wreckage, Ed insists that he was traveling with his wife and daughter. Traumatized by this event, he begins to suffer from, uh, suffer from severe vertigo. As he starts therapy, he will try to uncover what really happened on that tragic day. So that kind of setup is very familiar. Um, I feel like there are several movies that that sort of uh, take that that sort of general um, idea of like a a man who has lost his family and uh, like the the Jodie Foster movie Flight Plan comes to mind too. So 
um, you know, movies that sort of get inside characters' heads. And this game is going to do that where it, it actually lets you play uh, control three different characters and try to fill in gaps of like what's actually going on. And you're able to like explore different environments and sort of cross check the events and, and, you know, pinpoint what is actually going on versus what are deceptive memories that are sort of clouding your, uh, your field of judgment as a, as a character. So um, yeah, I just thought it sounded kind of cool. Uh, Chris, I know you're not like a big gamer, but um, you're a Hitchcock fan. So are you interested in this at all? Man, I don't know. I mean, I'd rather this than, a vertigo remake like a movie but mm. the character designs just look really they look like they're from like crazy taxi that like arcade <laughs> game from yes. like the 90s wow yeah like I, I i watched like the trailer and like while the i don't know what you would call it the landscapes look mm-hmm. great like they look cool like visually but the characters look really weird and i get not wanting to you know have have video game Jimmy Stewart running around. Plus, they, run, they don't have the rights to do that anyway. But I, I don't know how I feel about this. It's a little weird. There is a part of me, Chris, I have to admit, that would love to control a, a Jimmy Stewart avatar yeah. in a video game. But um, all right. So, yeah, you can uh, watch the trailer in the, the link in the show notes there. Um, let's talk a little bit about a, uh, a movie adaptation of The Monsters, which is a 19, what, 1960s? Is that when that yes, show was out? 1960s. Okay. Um, so I guess, Chris, just in case, you know, some of our younger listeners might not be familiar with, uh, you know, TV land reruns and things like that, maybe set up The Monsters and then tell us who is making a Monsters movie. Okay. The Monsters is basically a big Adams Family knockoff, but it still has its charms. Um, like the Adams Family, it's about a bunch of weirdos living in a big creepy house and how they deal with normal people. Um, and the difference is, uh, whereas the Adams Family, they're all just kind of like weird looking <laughs> humans. I guess they're human. I don't know what the Adams Family is. <laughs> On this show, they're monsters. Like the father is, is a Frankenstein's monster and the mother is a vampire and the son is a werewolf and so on. Okay, so then, so who is now making uh, this this 1960s TV show into a movie in modern day? Or is it is it going to be set in modern day? Do we know about that? We don't know anything about it, but we know that Mr. Rob Zombie is directing the film. And this is something he's wanted to do for, he's been talking about doing this for at least 20 years. And earlier this year, a rumor surfaced that it was finally happening, but we had no real confirmation. But Rob Zombie has now confirmed it himself, and he... Uh, he just said, you know, stay tuned for more info, but you know, it's happening. So there you have it. So uh, Chris, it's been a long, long time since I watched the monsters, but my memory of it is that it's sort of, uh, kind of in the same vein of the Adams family, like a, a sitcom with a twist kind of thing where it's, yeah. it's actually a lot of, um, you know, like laugh tracks and like, uh, j- jokes like delivered you know uh, based on the situations that are here and rob zombie does not strike me as a guy who is uh is really um known for his comedic taste so what do you think about the the combination of um of filmmaker and subject matter here you know it's it's tough i'm a little conflicted here because um when it comes to rob zombie i think rob zombie is a really good visual stylist like he makes movies that look really good and then everyone starts opening their mouths and the movies go really downhill because he is not a good screenwriter and for some reason he makes all of his characters really vulgar rednecks and look i have no problem with vulgarity i curse all the time but when i'm watching a movie and a character is saying like fuck constantly uh it just starts to really seem weird i feel like there are very few people who understand how to do that right i like Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese know how to do it. They're really good at making it 
flow naturally. There's like a certain rhythm and cadence to it that you have to get. And Rob Zombie does not understand that. And he just has them just being like, oh, motherfucker. And they're all they're all Southern. I don't understand that. I don't know. <laughs> so with all that in mind, I really don't know how to feel about this. I mean, I will absolutely watch a Rob Zombie Monsters movie. I just want him to hire a writer. I feel like Rob Zombie directing someone else's script would result in a really good movie. And that just hasn't happened yet. Mm. Well, I am like, I think completely unfamiliar with the cinematic output of Rob Zombie. I don't think I've seen a single one of his uh, movies. So I, I guess I can't really add any uh, any follow-up comments there. But um, man, just the idea of like the monsters being a thing again in, you know, in, in this uh, time. And like, I, I guess I, I just remembered just now that uh, there's that Netflix show about Wednesday Adams. So there's like a, a sort of a a resurrection of these um, old, like almost kitschy 1960s shows that seems to be uh, in the air right now. I don't know what's going on, but yeah. Uh, All right. So let's talk very briefly about uh, one of the new voice um, cast members of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse two or whatever that movie is ultimately, ultimately going to be called. Um, Chris, who's the latest person to join that film? Uh, Issa Rae will be voicing Spider-Woman who is, you know, another spider person in the, very expansive Spider-Man world where everyone is a spider person. That's such a weird, like it'd be, I guess Batman has like, he has the bat family, but they're not all Batmen. It's just Mm -hmm. weird that there's like a million spider people in the Spider-Man world. But what do I know? Yeah. And they're often like, you know, it's the same kind of thing where like, I also was bitten by a radioactive spider. Like, it seems like you're like, how many radioactive spiders are there? There's (laughs) so many. Uh, so uh so Issa Rae is playing spider woman i don't know anything about this character other than than that her name is uh, jessica drew um chris i don't know if you have your story that you wrote for slashfilm.com pulled up in front of you but if you do if you could just read the part uh (laughs) like just uh verbatim the the sentence that you wrote that begins in the comics the character has just because i was very uh amused by um some of her comics backstory there yes i looked this up so in the comics the character has a very complicated backstory involving magic science experiments hydra shield and even more wacky stuff and at one point the character even died and then came back from the dead but that happens a lot in comics but yeah so they're gonna have a lot of uh different backstories to pick and choose from here yeah she was a private detective at one point i mean this character's history just seems wild i mean i guess a lot of uh a lot of characters history especially ones who've been around for a while go through a bunch of different iterations and stuff but um yeah, I've, I've actually never seen Insecure, which is the, the HBO show that Issa Rae is best known for. But I know that she's, you know, like certainly um, has a lot of fans and uh, and she seems like a good fit, you know, in with um, with the Lord and Miller school of comedy. So, um, yeah, hopefully this will be uh, pretty great. I, I don't know if we can really offer any mu- any more because the basically the plot of that movie is still being kept pretty um, under lock and key. So, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we transition uh, out into the, I think we're going to bring Brad on to talk a little bit about Loki in a few minutes. But before we do that, Chris, I know you had the chance to watch uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and then speak with the director of that movie. And I just wondered if you could give us some brief thoughts about um, about that film and how you reacted to it, and then maybe just a couple of highlights from your conversation with the director. Yeah, I I like The Conjuring, The Devil. It's called The Conjuring, The Devil Made You Do It. I love The Conjuring series in general. I I like the main movies, the ones that actually are called The Conjuring more than all the spinoffs, but I just really like the series in general, primarily for Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, who play uh, 
Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were real people, but the real people were probably uh, con artists, for lack of a better <laughs> word. Whereas in the movies, the Warrens are just these really selfless, almost saintly figures who just love each other and they love to help other people and save them from ghosts. And this movie gave me that. Uh, it changes things up a little bit. You know, the, the first two Conjuring movies dealt primarily with haunted houses and this one does not do that. So that's a bit of a difference, but you know, as long as Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga keep coming back and making these movies, I will watch them just because I really just like watching them play these characters. So a guy named Michael Chavez uh, directed this movie and you had a chance to speak with him. What were sort of the, um, the takeaways that you had from that conversation? Yeah. Uh, I have um, an interview up with him on slash and it was a pretty good conversation. Um, uh, he talked a lot about, um, you know, this is like all the Conjuring movies. This is quote unquote based on a true story. Uh, and the true story here is a little tricky because whereas the other true stories are, you know, our house is haunted and you can, you can either assume that's true or not. This one deals with a murder that really happened. And when that was first announced, it, it kind of made me a little uneasy because it's, it's one thing to be like, there were ghosts in our house, but it's another to be like, uh, the story here is the, the guy who killed the per- you know, the guy who committed the murder says he committed the murder under uh, demonic possession. And I'm just going to come right out and say like, that didn't happen because that's not real. <laughs> like you can believe it or whatever you want. If you want to believe in the supernatural, that's fine, but come on, let's get real. He did not kill someone under demonic possession. Maybe he thought he did. Maybe he, you know, he was, he was uh, mentally unstable and thought he did. That's a possibility, mm-hmm. but obviously he was not really possessed. But of course, these movies, you know, they present the fact that this guy was possessed. So when I was talking to, to the director, I was, you know, I asked him, you know, how do you balance that? You know, how do you remain respectful to someone who really got killed while also telling this, you know, scary story? And, he, you know, he talked about that. I don't want to like give away the things he said, but he talked about, you know, he, he thought, you know, he said it was important to uh, be as respectful as they possibly could to, you know, the real life murder. And they did that mm-hmm. basically by by altering a lot of the facts and they, they actually changed the murder victim's name and all this stuff. So, uh, you know, stuff that, you know, gives them a chance to ha- take liberties with, with the truth. Uh, and, you know, elsewhere in the area, I asked him, um, and this actually got broken out into a whole separate story, but it's in the main interview too. Uh, the other two main conjuring movies, they, they set up, uh, spinoffs. Like the first movie set up Annabelle, that the scary doll. And the second one set up the nun and this movie doesn't have that. And I asked him why did, you know, why did it happen? And he actually revealed that uh, the first cut of the movie actually did have uh, a setup for a spinoff, but they felt um, the, the spinoff character wasn't working. And they actually went back and recut the movie and cut this potential spinoff character completely out of the film. So I just thought that was an interesting way of how they, you know, they go about making these movies and testing them and, Sometimes things don't work and sometimes things do. And so, yeah, and that, that actually like, I'm surprised that they were able to show that restraint and like make that choice because it's seen, you know, we're, we're always uh, fairly or unfairly, I think talking about how crass Hollywood can be. And, and, you know, this uh, franchise in particular is, is very extensive already and super successful. And like, you could easily imagine a case where they're like, yeah, it's not great, but we're just doing it anyway. Like who cares? Yeah. We're just going to, you know, put this out there because people don't necessarily need to, uh, experience the the quality like we can just coast by on name brand alone so i'm, I'm actually like uh, impressed that they were like you know what let's not do this yeah so, yeah me too 
All right. I think that's going to bring us to the, the end of this portion of, uh, of this episode. So Chris, before you go, why don't you tell people where they can find more of your work online? Uh, I am at slashum.com every day, knock on wood. And I am on Twitter at C Evangelista 413. All right. Thanks, Chris. And now we are bringing on a Slash Film Weekend editor, Brad Oman. Brad, how's it going? Oh, not too bad. Uh, so, Brad, I don't know the full extent of what you've done here uh, in terms of your interviews with um, people involved with the making of Loki, but I know that you've seen a couple episodes of Loki, and uh, we're going to be doing our big um, you know, breakdown episode uh, later on the podcast this week. But um, why don't you just give people a, you know, a couple, one, two sentences sort of reaction to the show, and then maybe just run through some highlights of uh, the conversations that you had with the folks who were involved in making them. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I love the show right out of the gate with the first two episodes that uh, Disney and Marvel provided critics for um, advanced review. Uh, it's just this great mix of what everyone already loves about Loki that takes him in a new direction, um, allows you to dig into this villainous persona he has in a surprising way, um, takes him on a path that allows him to kind of examine uh, his place in the the universe. Um, it definitely has this like kind of existential crisis vibe to it, but it also brings with it this kind of like dark, wry sense of humor in how bureaucratic and mundane the time travel aspect of this series is with the time variance authority uh, and what Loki gets caught up, you know, doing to, to help them out. Um, it's just a... It, it feels like it could have easily been uh, like a live action episode uh, of Rick and Morty, not quite as insane or, you know, uh, violent or, or raunchy, but just conceptually uh, mm -hmm. how they, how they approach sci-fi in, in this particular way. And uh, you know, just Tom Hiddleston, man, just chewing scenery and the way he's teamed up with Owen Wilson, they're, they're these great foils for each other, but they also have, um, it's a mix of, I, I fully understand what Michael Waldron was saying when he referenced Before Sunrise as being an influence for this movie now because the dynamic between them and how they have these conversations about time and each other uh, and Loki's life, it's just, um, it's very introspective uh, and existential and it's, mm. uh, it's just a really cool series so far. Interesting. Okay, so this is a totally unfair question since you've only seen two episodes, but how would you compare it to the previous two Marvel Studios shows that have been out on Disney Plus already? I personally think that it's the probably the best of the Marvel series so far, and that's mostly just because of what I like, you know, what what's in my wheelhouse and the things mm -hmm. that particularly tickle my fancy. I still love um, how WandaVision was set up, but that was also more of like, uh, a long con, you know, where it took you time to really get a grasp on on the show and what they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, and this one just like just throws you right right into the mix and like it, uh, you know, unloads uh, exposition on you, but it does so in an, in an entertaining way. Um, it's yeah, it, it gets really nerdy really quickly, um, and it's clear why the show will have you know big ramifications for for the MCU in the future. Man, I'm excited to watch it. Okay, so I know that you had a chance to speak with uh, who? Tom Hiddleston and Michael Waldron. Was there anybody else? Or there was a press conference that came later, but like I wasn't actually talking to anybody about it. So those are the two that I had one-on-one -on -one interviews with. Okay, so maybe just run through a couple of the the highlights of those conversations. Were there any big takeaways um, from you know anything that you learned or, or uh, any just you know fun moments or anything? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I feel like the funnest moments came as I was trying to. 
find out things about how the show, um, whether it has more of a future or how it will affect the future. And it's kind of funny because much of the, the entertainment kind of came from non answers, <laughs> um, which, you know, obviously we're always trying to like, see if, uh, you know, Kevin Feige or the filmmakers behind these shows or the stars will talk about anything that will reveal, you know, more of the, the grand plan of the Marvel cinematic universe. And so, you know, when you, you ask Tom Hiddleston about, you know, whether he has any hopes for what will happen to Loki in a potential uh, second season, he has to tap dance very cleverly around mm-hmm. it. And so and, and at one point he just, he, he was trying to, he, was, he said, you know, let's get to the end of the first season first. And then I, I said, well, the, I, so, I said, so it sounds like that the end of the first season could potentially, you know, be a setup for the second season, if that's the case, right? And he goes, and he just goes, season one has an ending. And that was it. <laughs> uh, oh. So and I even joked with him. I was like, well, that's perfect. That's going to be the headline. And we actually did make it the headline of that story. So. <laughs> um, and then, and and hilariously, another strikeout was it was funny, but uh, my conversation with Michael, Michael Waldron was much more expansive than what we did as a breakout story today. Because um, I was really curious about what he brought um, to the table from Rick and Morty, what he learned about from writing on that show that he used to help craft this series. Um, but, but man, when it came to talking about, uh, you know, again, a potential second season for Loki, any lead up to Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness or, uh, Kevin Feige's star Wars movie that he's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I could not have been like shut down more, more, more quickly. Um, but it, I, I will say that it was fun learning nothing about those projects and, and, and talking to him. Um, so the, the full interview, um, that will, that will be arriving later this week, um, has some more, you know, deep dives into just his, his work behind the scenes on the series and uh, Tom Hiddleston's approach to the character and how he, um, you know, tries to do something new with every performance, even though he's playing the same character, um, you know, how he makes that uh, a challenge and a unique uh, experience for him and, and things like that. So uh, keep an eye out uh, later this week for, for those full interviews. Excellent. All right. I think that's going to bring us uh, to the end of this episode. Brad, where can people find more of your work online? Oh, um, Ethan underscore Anderton on Twitter, um, Bradford Omen on Instagram, or you know, my other fun Instagram uh, at Look at Brad's Junk about you know snacks and uh, collectibles and things like that, and always at slashfilm.com. Excellent. All right, so you can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Uh, if you want to track me down online, I am also writing at slashfilm.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>